Hello, I'd like to welcome you again to this podcast and uh, I have with me uh, Tim Ash, uh, Senior Strategist in our uh, Emerging Markets team and we're going to be talking the latest developments and issues associated with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and, and, and the fallout from uh, that crisis. Hi Tim, I, I know when we last uh, discussed you made the point that you know, one of the objectives of Putin's decision or uh, Putin's invasion of, of Ukraine was a quick win. They've clearly not achieved that. Um, you know, the, the Ukrainian people are, are proving extraordinarily uh, resilient. I mean, how long do you think they can kind of keep going in terms of this conflict and, and sort of hold off the military advance of Russia? Well, they've already exceeded everyone's expectations. I mean, uh... You know, this was a huge military operation by the Russians, and I think most people would have thought the either Zelensky or the population uh, would have conceded already. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty remarkable, and it shows the endurance and resilience of Ukrainians. Remember, they fought two revolutions against autocratic powers: uh, the Orange Revolution in 2003-4, and then Euromaidan in 13-14. Uh, and then they've been fighting a war for seven years in Donbass uh, with with uh, not only uh, Russian-backed separatists, but Ru- proper Russian forces uh, themselves. So th- this is a very determined population who know what they want. Uh, they don't want to live under Putin. Uh, they want freedom, rule of law. They want a Western orientation. Um, and I'm not sure they're going to give in. I mean, they'll fight a very long time. Putin could Putin certainly could could uh, could take Kiev. He could take Kharkiv and some of the big cities. But I think, you know, the, the population will continue to fight, you know, sabotage, you name it. It's going to be very difficult. You know, Putin may win, win the war, but winning the peace is going to be very, very difficult. And um, mm. I mean, kind of interesting that, um, you, know, uh, you know, this is a he's escalated in, in, in recent days. Um, and, and, uh, and also he's been slapped down with very significant sanctions. Um, and again, this idea of um, winning the peace uh, even if he manages to install a, a compliant regime in Kiev, you know, the reconstruction costs uh, in, in Ukraine are going to be enormous. Uh, and he'll have to do that probably with the regime in Kiev sanctioned. And he faces this overwhelming sanctions uh, imposed by the West on, on Russia itself. So he'll have to finance that himself. So, you know, it's going to be a bit of a, uh, I, I don't know, a hollow victory in many respects. And, and many Ukrainians will leave the country. So, again, the, the human capital base of the country will be very, very much weaker. There's been reports that there's been peace talks uh, between a delegation from Ukraine and from Russia on, on, on the border of Belarus. I mean, you know, would you attach any kind of meaningful probability to um, some kind of breakthrough in terms of those talks or some kind of peaceful resolution to this crisis? I'm not sure. I mean, it's, the sides are still so far apart. I mean, you know, Putin wants you know, demilitarized status for, for Ukraine, no NATO, no EU, um, neutral status. Essentially, he wants Ukraine to be a, a Russian proxy state. Uh, and probably he'll want regime change in Kiev as, as the, uh, the price as well. And, and it, you, Ukrainians care deeply about their freedom. And, you know, have proven in recent days they're willing to fight for it. So, and, and, and the, the, Peace talks we've had in, in over the last few days, anyway, have not gone very far at all. So it feels like, in terms of the military conflict, there's more likely to be a winner and a loser. Now, as I said, either either Putin captures the main cities and then installs his own regime in Kiev, 
or simply, you know, Putin, you know, the Russian military, the Russian army, you know, lacks sufficient troops to to engage in street warfare. And Russian troops so far have seemed unwilling to really fight uh, in a country that's not theirs. Right. So, you know, maybe Rus Russian troops will just, you know, surrender and, and go away. But I, I, the, the problem, I guess, for Ukraine is, you know, Russia still has this huge air superiority, missile superiority, and artillery superiority, and, and they've proved very willing to use that uh, in Kharkiv, Kiev, and other cities. Uh, it reminds me a bit of Syria, and it's an unfortunate comparison, mm -hmm. but, you know, Putin, you know, obviously devastated Syria in support of the Assad regime. The West didn't really do very much, didn't even impose a, a no-fly zone, and, and for the Ukrainians, unfortunately, you know, that would be a, um, you know, a, a pretty worrying kind of model that Putin may be looking to play out. And I mean, one of the sort of concerns I think that many people have is, or some commentators suggested, is, is the kind of rationality of, of the Russian uh, administration. And this was kind of highlighted or, or brought to the fore to some extent also by President Putin placing Russia's nuclear forces on high alert. I mean, did, can you, do you read anything into to that? What was the kind of purpose of that, that decision? Well, I suggested he was on the back foot. You know, the initiative had been taken by the Ukrainians. Putin thought it was going to be a quick victory with the Ukrainians surrendering. They fought long and hard. Russian forces were repulsed. Uh, Putin was, was worried about defeat. And I think he was worried also about you know, Western countries providing more arms to Ukraine to be able to defend itself, anti-tank weapons, uh, surface-to-air missiles, handheld surface-to-air missiles, which would make Russia's uh, military progress that much more difficult, and also the sanctions. So I think this was a warning to the West that Putin is willing to engage in maximum escalation. It's uh, For him, it's winner-takes-all, uh, no holes barred. Uh, and the nuclear, I mean, certainly the, the nuclear... Uh, warning is, I mean, sends shivers down the, the, the spine. I mean, this is a guy who, yeah. you know, has, has trampled on all norms of sort of international diplomacy and, um, you know, trampled on the sovereignty of Ukraine. Um, you know, people are asking, would he, knew, would he actually use nuclear weapons? It's, it's an extraordinary thing to even contemplate. But, you know, he's put it out there, right? And, and we should all be pretty worried because this is a guy who is, is mad, angry with Russia's lot, his lot in life, Russia's lot in life, and he's desperate to get Ukraine back at all costs. Sobering. Um, let, let's maybe just move a little bit more towards, if you like, the um, economics and, and, and financial aspects of, of, of the crisis. And, you know, I, I recall you coined the term Fortress Russia back in um, 2015. Um, I mean, has Fortress Russia been breached by the severity and breadth of uh, Western sanctions on Russia? Well, you know, having coined the phrase, I'm more than happy to surrender it uh, and retire it. Um, you know, I, I argued that, you know, he built this fortress Russia precisely for this moment. He spent the last seven years building up Russia's defences for precisely this moment. Putin has been planning this attack on Ukraine for many years. Let's not beat around the bush. He's been positioning for it. He expected Western sanctions and he built up this huge war chest of uh, 640 billion FX reserves, very little debt, etc. Um, what's been pretty remarkable in the last few days has been the seriousness and aggressiveness of sanctions. I mean, I, I argue, I think, you know, if you think of on a one to 10, Iran is 10 out of 10 in terms of sanctions. We were on Russia probably two to three. I thought the West would probably do six or seven. 
where we are is probably nine. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable. And I think it's it, the, the fact that the West are prepared to do some un, unthinkable things like sanctioning the central bank of Russia. So that's 640 yeah. billion of FX reserves are basically beyond a, a large part of them are beyond reach of the central bank. Swift, you know, significant bank sanctions. Uh, these are seismic for the Russian economy um, and they've crashed, you know, the Russian financial sector and probably going to crash the Russian economy. The reason the West, I think, want, uh, we're willing to do it in the end is that, you know, that determination of the Ukrainians. I mean, Zelensky, the spunky, you know, leader, uh, David versus Goliath battle, the Ukrainians standing up against, an, you know, a, an, an incredible, a credible military machine against all odds. And I think it embarrassed the West and they realized, actually, we really need to help these guys. And one of the few, uh, you know, weapons in our armory is, is actually sanctions. So that's why we've seen a, a pretty united response from the West and also the international business community. You know, you think of MasterCard, Visa, all suspending uh, business with Russia, Euroclear, Clearstream, uh, shipping companies. You know, Putin's almost given himself and Russia a pariah status. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe this will make Russians think twice. Maybe it will see uh, unrest uh, develop in Russia. Maybe elites around Putin will have, have second thoughts because at the moment Putin is out of control. Given the, the, the impact of uh, these sanctions, how do you think that will impact Russia's you know, ability as well as willingness to meet its foreign um, debt obligations. If you, if you look at, you know, credit default swaps on, on Russian debt, they've absolutely shot through um, the roof and implying a pretty high risk of default. Well, how the mighty have fallen, you know, again, fortress Russia, you know, last week Russia was relatively high investment grade. No one even contemplated a default by Russia. And, you know, this week we're on the brink of default. I mean, that's the reality. We had an OFZ payment, a local local debt instrument payment today. Um, the Ministry of Finance said it's paid it, but the National Depository has, has held payments of those, those coupons because the central bank are not allowing them to pay. So I, I think Russia's playing a bit of a game here. You know, they're, 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 I think they're facing a critical uh, financial position, especially given the sanctioning of the CBR assets. Um, they they would probably think it's they, they'd rather like to avoid paying at this point in time. And they're trying to blame it on others and blame it on, on sanctions for the fact that Russia may be forced into default. But the reality is, you know, uh, what a spectacular decline from triple B uh, investment grade status. I'd imagine now Russia is looking like more of a, a triple C credit at, at this point in time and, and may well go into default. Um, you know, it's touch and go at the moment. And just in terms of, um, you know, it's got, again, broadening it further and almost sort of heading uh, west towards Europe. I mean, how great a risk do you think the Russian energy supplies to Europe are, are either disrupted because of the war or damage to infrastructure or, or Russia itself decides um, to reduce supplies in retaliation for Western uh, and European sanctions? Yeah, well, there's been lots of focus on alternative gas transit routes, obviously Nord Stream 2, etc., um, Turk Stream, Blue Stream, all these kind of other ones. But Ukraine is still a significant gas transit country. So uh, at the moment, I don't think we've seen this um, damage to those gas pipelines. Um, I guess the, the risk, the concern is that in retaliation for Western sanctions that Russia does uh, cut energy supplies, it's already restricted supplies this winter. I, I always thought that was the anticipation of this crisis. I think Russia was preparing for this. 
Um, would they further restrict energy supplies? I guess the, the West view is that, you know, this is a, it's almost a clash of civilizations. It's authoritarian kleptocracy versus Western liberal market democracy. The West, I think, is, is, is or certainly the, the US administration um, is suggesting that this is a fight worth, worth having. And, and basically, if energy supplies are disrupted, well, we have to just accept that. It's a price worth paying. And in a way, they're call, trying to call Russia's bluff. You know, given the absolute collapse of Russian financial markets, uh, and probably the Russian economy to, to come. I think they think that Putin won't dare. I mean, if he, if he cuts off energy exports uh, from Russia to the West, I mean, in a way, it's the, it's the last leg of, uh, of Russia's finance and, and econ uh, financial system and economy. And he'll be shooting himself in the foot. He'll probably be making the Russian economic situation much more difficult. He'll further dropping living standards and possibly a further threat to himself uh, from domestic political instability. So, David, anyway, you know, I've spoken quite a lot already, but um, people are certainly very interested in the global impact of this, uh, not just in Europe, but uh, beyond beyond the region. Um, what, what are you thinking now, you know, listening to me and, and watching what's going on in Ukraine and Russia? I mean, what are the global implications, uh, macro implications from what's going on in Ukraine and Russia? I mean, it's clearly a... Um, stagflationary shock to uh, the global economies and you know it means higher inflation uh, weaker growth um, I mean if you know Russia is only around about one and a half percent if that of, of, of global GDP is not a big it's certainly not a big source of um, uh, global uh, demand so I think you know Russia the Russian economy in itself is, is frankly too small really to move the dial meaningfully in terms of you know, global demand and, and from that perspective global growth but of course as, as we've been discussing uh, you know Russia is a you know major supplier of uh, important commodities and of course of energy um, you know and I, and I think in the case of I mean Europe is the most exposed uh, Europe is the biggest uh, net importer of energy in the world, and Russia is by far and away its bigger, biggest um, uh, supplier of energy. Uh, given what you've said in terms of you thinking that, you know, it's unlikely that, that Russia would choose to completely sort of cut off um, gas uh, and oil supplies to, to Europe, then the principal way it's going to impact, you know, the European economy is, is going to be through, you know, much higher um, uh, gas and uh, oil prices and you know it, 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 it's so fluid at the moment and prices are moving so uh, rapidly it also depends on what will be the fiscal response which I think we will get a fiscal response from from European governments but I mean I think we're going to be looking at headline inflation um, in Europe getting to sort of seven to to, to eight percent um, come sort of April May June um, and, you know, you, I think you've got to be looking at sort of taking at least half a point off uh, growth for uh, this year. So it's not at the moment, I think, enough to kind of tip Europe into, um, uh, you know, stagflation proper um, of, of actual sort of recession along with uh, high and rising inflation. But it, it's, it's, you know, it clearly has the potential to be. Uh, a, a, a meaningful negative shock. And, and how do uh, central banks, DM central banks and central banks globally uh, view all this, this shock to the system? It makes what was already quite a difficult path for 
developed markets, central banks that, you know, compared to their emerging market counterparts, had got much sort of further behind uh, the inflation curve to kind of thread that needle between having to, you know, deal with high inflation that's proved much more persistent uh, than they had expected, concerns around second round effects, both in terms of uh, higher prices feeding through to higher wages and in turn feeding back into higher prices and in terms of um, inflation expectations without um, also you know raising fears around growth you know into um, 2023 so it's clearly made it much harder I think for all central banks I think it's made it particularly tough for the European um, central bank um, I, I, I suspect it means that ECB is going to want to keep as much optionality um, as possible I think they'll uh, probably try to avoid giving much in a way of kind of forward guidance around their asset purchase um, uh, 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 program um, and sort of, you know, rein in a little bit, sort of, uh, certainly the market's reined in a lot, I think, um, expectations around ECB rate hikes. I think for the Fed and, and listening to, to, to Jay Powell recently, I mean, for the Fed, you know, they're much more distant. Um, they're a net energy exporter. Their exposure to, to Russia is, is much, much less than it is for uh, Europe. And I think it's a pretty marginal impact from an economic point of view. But higher oil prices are going to feed into higher inflation um, in, in, in the US as well. So I, I, I think the Fed, you know, goes ahead, moves ahead with its rate hikes. So, you know, starting uh, uh, this month, I think it will go ahead with its uh, quantitative tightening um, as well. So, I think it's going to vary across the major um, uh, major central banks. But it's it's you know, it's certainly made their task that more um, difficult, given how far behind they've got. Um, you know, relative to the inflation curve. Let, let me just now maybe conclude, um, Tim. Just maybe go back to you with a final question, um, which you kind of alluded to a little bit, but, you know, it, what's, what's, you know, given that the Russian economy, as you say, is going to be, you know, devastated by, or, you know, dramatically negatively impacted by um, uh, the sanctions, uh, given that, you know, this uh, invasion of Ukraine certainly isn't going to, 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 to plan. There's obviously a lot of casualties on both sides. Um, I mean, what's what's the prospect of regime change within Russia itself that um, uh, President you know, Putin could be uh, replaced? Well, as I mentioned, uh, sanctions, uh, international pariah status for Russia uh, will have a pretty brutal impact on the economy. Russians are going to be a lot poorer. Uh, living standards are going to crash. And, and not just for a, a year. I mean, sanctions are unlikely to be removed unless Russia pulls all its troops out of Ukraine and changes its behavior. Um, so, you know, Russia, Russia is going to be in the doldrums for a very long time. Um, but, you know, and interestingly, in, in Kazakhstan recently, um, against expectations, the population rose up against an authoritarian regime and, uh, you know, uh, and eventually those, those demonstrations were put down. But um, Russia is a very you know, tightly restricted political system. The media is controlled. The opposition are in jail or forced into exile um, or constantly harassed. There has, have been demonstrations, but they've been aggressively policed by the, by the police. Um, I mean, it, it's not impossible for there to be protests uh, very soon. <laughs> um, 
but it, it you know it feels a little bit like unless there is a palace coup from inside from elites that you know oligarchs and you know parts of the Siloviki who have very substantial assets overseas that are not are not particularly happy about their lot in life unless they move against Putin at the top it's going to be very hard I think for the population in general Russia doesn't really have uh, in recent years a history of of uh, protests like Ukraine has and, and Belarus has had. Um, I think more, I, I make the comparison a little bit here with Afghanistan, um, 79, Russian invasion. Um, you know, that had a devastating impact on the Russia, on the Soviet economy, I should say. Um, and it took, you know, four, five, well, five, six years for that to materialize into, um, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev coming in, realizing the need to be changed. Uh, and, and the rest can, is kind of history. So, you know, I, I would think that this, this will weaken the administration. Um, but I think it's it's a long way at this point. It looks quite a long way from collapse, unless you know someone within the administration decides to take uh, take uh, matters into their own hand and moves against uh, against Putin. Well, thank you again, Tim, um, for uh, this discussion. Very much appreciate your insights, and hopefully get to speak to you again. Thank you. Thanks. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2022.